0: Fall is here. I love fall, and I think part of the reason I love New Mexico the most is that I grew up in Arizona where there was no such thing as fall. It just went from hot to less hot. And, uh, um, you know, being able to, uh, to celebrate fall, be able to see the temperatures cool off at night, going to the state fair, seeing the chilies roasting, all these things are just amazing things. But there's something that I really, really like about fall. Maybe you're alone with me. Maybe you're against me on this one. I don't know. But football is here. I love football. Yes, praise God. Thank you. Thank you. As as Jerome so aptly put it at the beginning, life begins again. Uh, you know, the. Uh, it's funny, our house is pretty close to where all the yaffles played at over here on, on High Resort. So uh, if we open up, the, open up the windows on Friday night to let the cool air in and everything, and uh, Saturday morning we wake up to screams just coming up, just screams and cowbells and peoples and whistles, and it's just... Fun unless it's really early, and that's not as fun. But the uh, you know the whole thing, just seeing football take place. I, I just love football, and this time of year, kickoff Sunday, everybody except for the Steelers are undefeated right now. And uh, you know, uh, but in your defense, Michael, they look good. They shot themselves in the foot. They have sixteen or fifteen more games to make up for it. But the the whole, the whole thing is, is that you know, I just I just love the fact that everybody has a chance, and uh, you know, we we see. Uh, We sing about unbroken praise, and we sing about uh, the things that that take place. And a lot of times, people take that same praise that goes towards God, and they praise uh, a little God. Uh, They might put it in some player that they're wearing their jersey of, uh, maybe today, during church service. And, uh, you know, there's something that that we lift them up and praise them instead of giving that unbroken praise to God. And, you know, we, we worship these players, and we see things take place, and we forget that you know, there there are these prognosticators that come out, and they, they try and be these prophets within football, and they all have somebody they're going to choose to win the Super Bowl this year. And, and uh, what might happen and what may may take place uh, is merely a guess. And the reason why it's merely a guess, at any point in time, your star player of your team could get injured. I'm not sure if you were watching Notre Dame yesterday. Uh, I, I got to sit down. I was kind of watching it while I was finalizing stuff on my message, and I only watched for For a short time, and the quarterback went to run up the middle, their star, you can't lose this guy, or you guys are going to be terrible guy, uh, got rolled up on, broke his ankle out for the year. And uh, of course, everybody was like, oh, no way. And then their sophomore redshirt freshman uh, quarterback came in through the waiting touchdown with 12 seconds left, so I guess everything's good in Notre Dame land. And, uh, um, you know, we, that's right, it was. It kind of was a Hail Mary of of all things, it was like a 47 yard pass. But uh, that being said, I, I love football. And I love one big thing about football. That is that if I left church today and I was wearing this jersey and I walked into any store, somebody's going to talk to me. They may like me or they may have something snotty to say. Or they may ask me why I'm there because the Bears and Packers played 11 on TV. Why am I at Walmart right now? That might be the question they ask. But the, uh, the, the whole thing that, that we look at, we, we see this connection that, that takes place. And we have the ability to identify ourselves as, as a fan of, of whatever it might be, and for whatever reason, that just opens a door for people to, to naturally talk. As a matter of fact, uh, yesterday, we were uh, out walking. Right behind our house is a, is a big track, and, and the track, it kind of goes around the arroyo there by Loma, Colorado. And uh, We just happened to be out. We had all the kids. We had the dogs off the leash because there wasn't anybody out there except for one guy who was running, and as he was running, he was kind of going the opposite direction, so we kept passing, him, and my dogs would greet him. And say hello and get slobber on him and all that kind of thing like that, which is just an amazing thing to do for for a guy who doesn't probably care for that slobber on him. But, um, you know, he he was going by and finally he kind of stopped. He's like, oh, no, I love dogs. He's kind of petting. He's like, my kids be going crazy. And we got to talking. I had my Packers hat on at the time and found out that he's from uh, He's from Minnesota and uh, just started kind of talking back and forth. He's a Vikings fan, and he goes to Sagebrush, and, and we were kind of talking a little bit um, in the process, and I actually told him, I said, hey, you know, he, he was a football fan. I said, well, we have, a, we have a tailgate party tonight, but I'm not inviting you because I'm, I'm not looking to steal you from another church or anything like that, so I'm just not inviting you. He goes, well, thanks for not inviting me, and, uh, <laughs> um, and it happens to last night he comes, has five kids, brings his family, brings his brother who has four kids, all their family, and they fill up the whole back section and have a giant crock pot full of meatballs because they came to, and it was just a, a, just a happenstance kind of con- connection that, that took place. And it's because we had the dogs, had the hat, we started talking football, and it all kind of went from there. And I didn't even invite him, and he still came. And, uh, and so the, the, the whole uh, way that football can do that is crazy. I was actually out front sweeping uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I had my Packer shirt on then as well because pretty much I either have Diamondbacks, which have already been packed away because they packed up the season, so I figured so should I. And, uh, and so I uh, switch out. I switch out wardrobes, change the license plates on the car. Maybe you're as weird as I am in that way, but generally Labor Day is that day. So I've had it, everything switched, wearing my Packer shirt, and this guy comes walking out of the farmer's insurance building. And as he comes walking out of the farmer's insurance building, I say hey to him. He's like, oh, hey, Green Bay. And we, we started talking. And in the process, once again, it was just an opening of conversation, he just moved here six weeks ago from Green Bay. Of all uh, crazy places to move from to come to here, he's telling me everything. He's like, oh, I just love it here, love how open it is, love how you have the mountain over here. He goes, the only thing I just can't quite get is, he goes, I've lived here for six weeks, and every morning I turn on the news, somebody's been shot. I said, welcome to the 505. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we, we kind of talked through that, and we had a good conversation. I said, so, you know, you, you moved here, and you're liking it. I said, do you miss Green Bay? I mean, you moved right before football season. Why would you do that? He's like, oh, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a Packer fan. I'm like, what? Who lives in Green Bay and is not a, like, 0.03% chance of not being a Packer fan? He's like, no, you don't understand. He's like, people there are crazy. He doesn't like football. I'm like, that's all that town's known for. Nobody goes, oh, Green Bay. Oh, yeah, I love there. That's it. It's football. That's it. Yeah, they don't even make good cheese there. Cheese is south of there. You know, that's just too cold for cheese. It gets all, yeah, whatever. But the, uh, the, the thing is that I started talking to him, and he's like, yeah, I just, you know, I just can't wrap my head around football because people are crazy, and Packers fans are worse. And I went, explain. He goes, well, I worked with the, the Green Bay Police Department. He said, it's amazing the way the stats for domestic violence go up on a packers day that they lose and how it goes down and people drive better on a monday on the day that they win he goes it, it's it's mind blowing to watch it take place but they they have all of their and he said this they have all of their identity wrapped up in football and that and he goes and all they do about the whole off season is talk about what's going to happen next and i went that's funny because we're getting ready to talk about identity in just a couple of weeks. I said, what a great time to kick it off with our jerseys on as we identify ourselves with this. And I look at it and I think to myself, you know, there's so many things we, we wrap ourselves up in. I mean, Green Bay has a 34-year wait list to get on the season ticket, to get season tickets to it. 115,000 people are on the list. When a child is born... They put their name on the list. That way, when they turn 34 years old, they have an opportunity to get season tickets. I wish I was joking. But there's a, there's a craziness that is involved in these kind of things, and, and they're just rabid fans. And we get to wrapping ourselves up in identity. And I thought this summer, you know, our, our culture has an identity crisis. Our culture has an identity crisis, and, and we saw it amplified this summer. It didn't start this summer, but it was amplified this summer with, a, with a, a famous Olympian by the name of Bruce Jenner who started to struggle with his identity of who he was, and then we gave him a award for changing his mind. And we see that play itself out, and we say, man, we're having some problems with identity and figuring out who we are. And I said, and the church needs to talk about it. We need to talk about it. And we need to look at what identity is. And I wanted to just cram everything into this morning. But what we're going to do is we're going to expand it out over thanks, until Thanksgiving. Because if I crammed it all in this morning, I would miss the game this afternoon. And uh, the, that, that's not a good thing. And uh, the, the, the whole idea of identity and who we are and who defines us is a crazy thing. And you'll see on your, um, on your chair right there, you have a little postcard. It's got two words and a blank on it. It says, I am blank. I am blank. I want you under the uh, inside chairs and a couple on the outside there, there's a Sharpie. I want you to fill that out. I'm not gonna tell you how to fill it out. I want you to fill it out with I am blank. You're not gonna give it to me. This is something I want you to hold on to. Put it in your Bible after you're done. I want you to hold on to it until we're done at Thanksgiving and see if what you wrote today changes, in your view of who you are changes by the time we get to Thanksgiving. Because I'm hoping and I'm praying that God speaks to you in a way that that's exactly what happens, that it changes, that your mindset changes. Because that I am blank, I want you to write the first thing that pops into your head, that what you think you are, who you think you are. It doesn't have to be spiritual. You're not sitting in church going, well, I better write something spiritual here because I want you to write the truth. I don't want you to ask somebody next to you to go say, hey, who am I? I don't want that. I want you to tell me how you define yourself. And maybe this is probably the best way for you to kind of figure this out as you go. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? The question's identity shaping. It's life altering. And it's eternity affecting. See, people have been asking this question for many, many years. What's the purpose of my existence? What is the importance of my existence? What is the intention of me being here and my intentions? How do they affect everything else that's around? How would you describe yourself? How do you introduce yourself? How do you perceive yourself? That's how I want you to fill in that I am blank. So take a second, and as you write that out, um, you might be thinking in yourself, you know, pop psychology is is very much involved in this identity thing. They call it self-esteem, self-image, or self-awareness. We call it identity. How do you identify yourself? What's your identity? Who do you think you are? How would you answer the question? Because it's an important one to answer. And it really is an important one to know the answer. It's the one thing that can change everything, because when you know who you are, you know what to do. But when you don't know who you are, you don't know what to do. And as we dive in today, we're going to look at that I am blank. How did you fill it out? I don't want you to actually tell me, but I want to just kind of read out some things that I wrote that maybe you might have filled it in. I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm young, I'm old, I'm smart, I'm stupid, I'm loved, I'm hated, I'm single, I'm married, I'm divorced, I'm desirable, I'm undesirable, I'm successful, I'm a failure, I have hope, I'm hopeless. Maybe one of those things which you used. Who are you? Who do you say that you are? How do you see yourself? How does your identity affect the rest of your future and your eternity? We're going to spend, like I said, until Thanksgiving answering that question. And it's a question that we we ask ourselves, sometimes very consciously, sometimes less consciously. Sometimes we ask it in, in a way that we have others answer it for us. We let others determine who we are. See, it starts when we're little. Were you the firstborn? Were you the middle child? Were you the baby? Were you shy? Because Anytime that somebody talked to you, you put your head behind mom and dad's leg and they said, oh, he's shy. So it immediately made you shy. How have you defined yourself? You know, were you the chubby kid? Were you the funny kid? Were you the athletic kid? Were you the nerdy kid? Were you the arty kid? Each one of these things started to shape your identity until you hit these things called the teen years. And these things called the teen years, everything changed and you're like, what? And uh, the the whole all of life became different and a whole new group is identifying who you are and you get to junior high and for some it's a little bit later than that but you get to junior high and you say hey i need to start washing my hair i need to i need to start smelling better i need to choose my clothes properly as i go out because i need to have something i remember just wanting to have uh, an upside down triangle on the back of my jeans that said guess And it were cool acid wash jeans that now you can find at Savers for a whole lot less than I probably paid for them. But you would wear those jeans over and over and over again because that's what defined you. That was who you were. What other names did you get? What nicknames did you get? Were they good nicknames? Were they bad nicknames? I'm going to share a story that I didn't share last night because people had to eat afterwards. You guys have already eaten, so it's okay. But um, when I was in uh, sixth grade, sixth grade, my last name is Sellers. I was in sixth grade, and we had started doing the transition between classes. It used to be where you all sat in the same class, and they started getting us ready for junior high, where we're going to transition between classes. And in a transition between class, I stepped in a pile of dog stuff, and I didn't realize it, and I'd walked all the way, dragging my foot through the classroom. For any teachers, this is back when there was carpeting and portable buildings, and uh, so there was... There wasn't anything left on my shoe, but it all went to my desk. And that, it, it left a little aroma in the room, we shall say. And in the process of leaving that aroma in the room, guess what nickname I ended up having for the rest of my life? Smellers. That's right. Hey, smellers. And that stuck. That stuck all the way. And of course, in a junior high kid's mind, that is devastating, And you think, oh, if I just could have some guest jeans, that'd be so much better. And uh, that's just, we have these identities that get thrown on us and we hold to it. And like I said, that's when we're literally we're teens. And then you finally get through those those teen years and, and you're, you hit college. And when you hit college, you have this opportunity to completely reinvent yourself. You move away from mom, you move away from dad, all your friends, all your family. And while you're away, you say, I finally get to be me and nobody knows who I used to be. And I'm going to make myself all new. I'm going to have a fresh start. And I get to decide how I'm going to present myself. What I will do or what I won't do. And how I can act. And I'm going to do whatever I choose because this is now my time to identify myself. And that's college. And you get through college, hopefully, and you graduate. And when you graduate, you have a whole new identity crisis that smacks you in the face. Because now what? Especially now. Jobs aren't on the forefront. You have lots of people with lots of degrees working at Starbucks, and and the the, the thing is, is we see that take place, and you say, I'm, i i got to be an adult, and I have to pay for those college loans, and I have to start paying my bills, and I have to, do, what, how are we going to do this? What am I supposed to do? How? Is it all going to happen? Am I going to stay single for the rest of my life? Am I going to be in a relationship? All these questions start flowing, and, and you start having all this, and you finally get that career. And guess what? A whole new identity shift happens. Because how many people identify themselves by their career? How many people, when they write, I am blank, they write, A, whatever I do? How do we do it? And when that happens, we start to identify ourselves. So what we do is we work really, really hard in that career so we can excel in that career, so we can be at the top of the field in that career. And it becomes our identity. And in the process of that, maybe you meet somebody, that special somebody. And you meet that special somebody and you think, this is it. This is the final piece of that puzzle that I need to complete my identity. You complete me. You know, that whole, that whole thing. And and we, we look for that and we realize that person who completes us thinks we're supposed to complete them and their identity and we want them to complete us and our identity and also we have these two people with two different identities that are trying to be one but yet they are selfish and they are bumping heads and there's a little bit of this thing called misery. It's what we call marriage. And, and the, it, it all comes together and there's constantly a conflict about who's going to complete whose identity. When you finally start to get that figured out, you have a kid. And when that kid comes along, everything changes. Every plan that you had is now on the back burner, if not off the stove completely. Everything that happens as you see it all play, they're going to change the way that you eat. They're going to change the place where where you eat. They're going to change when you sleep or if you sleep. They're going to change all of these things in our lives when we see it all play out, that even your vacations are now planned around them. They become the center of your identity. Because I went from being my own person to being married to Christy to being Camden's dad. And Camden's dad's what I kind of held on to. And now I kind of have this whole, I got lots of kids. That's the crazy guy. That's, that's the guy that I am. The, the one, one of the few people that have more than four that isn't Mormon. So that, that's, that's who I am. And that's what people actually call me. Oh, you drive a 12-passenger bus? You go to the Mormon church over there? No, I, I, I don't. Uh, But it's just, you know, it naturally identifies itself. Isn't that the way we do it? And we take those identities from the outside and we put it on other people. And guess what? There comes a point in time when your kids start getting older. Cam is now 14. Guess what? He doesn't want to hang out with me as much. I don't know why. I'm pretty all right. You know, at least I thought I was, but he'd rather do his own thing. He'd rather hang out with his friends. He'd rather, and he's Starting to do that. And all that identity that was wrapped in that center of my universe is now gone or going. And as they move out, we have this thing called empty nest. And as empty nest happens, some people, and other people go, what am I supposed to do now? And if you look back up actually to the, the teen years and in the college years, do you realize that sometimes that graduate, they hold on to those other two things for a long time? The average person, I've told you guys this before, the average male adolescent ends the adolescent stage now. They say the definition of adolescence goes from 14, it used to go 14 to 18, it is now 14 to 28. Yeah, and and there's plenty more. There's no time to grow up, and part of it has to do with this stage in a parent's life because I don't want to let my kids go. And if I don't want to let my kids go, and they don't really want to go, because who wants to go when you have free rent, free food, and free everything else to take care of and have a job where you're making money so you can just bank it on whatever you want in PlayStation 4, you know, whatever you, you know, whatever life you want to live on that computer and have your identity be there, it changes everything. But when kids get older, emptiness happens, your identity of who you are is shaken, who we are as a couple, and, and the whole center of your universe is gone, and it's, it changes everything everything, and it keeps happening throughout life. Life in general is in chaos with our identity all the time. When we're finally starting to figure it out, uh, when it's something to do with the world, that thing changes. I don't know if you feel it, but I do. I do often. Who do you think you are when we leave that I am blank? What do you fill it in with? And see, that question not only has just a a regular lifestyle conflict within it and stages of life conflict in it. It also has two different opposing viewpoints from what we would say would be the world or culture and what we'd say would be God and the church. Because there's two very different things in this I am blank. And that's really what we're going to look at over the next 11, 12 weeks. As we lay this out, as we hopefully change what you wrote in that box, it says, I am blank. Because what I want to look at is there is a culture that is feeding you lines of who they think that you are and who you should be according to the latest Gallup poll. And then there is God. There's God who told you from the very first five words of the Bible who you are. See, the very first Five words of the Bible, in Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. See, if we hold on to that belief, it changes everything else about our lives. If we hold on to the fact that God created, it changes our viewpoint on everything. But if it's the flip side, if we believe that God did not create, it changes it all. As so a matter of fact, what, what I want you to do is if you have your Bibles with you, we're only going to look at three verses here today. Three verses and let it grow from there because what I want to do over the next 12 weeks is I want to fill in that I am blank with what the Bible says you are. And today is I am created. And not just I am created, but I am created by God. I am created by God. Check out Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Just a little bit after God has created all these things. And we have to understand, Genesis means beginnings. Found the beginning of the Bible. So if you're new to the Bible, open up there at the front. Genesis 1, 1, probably one of the easiest verses to find for you. So go ahead and open up there. And then just go down to verse 26. And in verse 26, it talks about the beginnings. And we find that this is the beginning of everything except for God, including the beginning of your identity. It says this in Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us. And I'm gonna pause right there because us is the allusion to the Trinity. One God, three persons, us. It says, let, let God, then God said, let us make man. Make man. We are made, that is mankind. The same thing said in Genesis 5-1 that includes men and women. It says, let's make man in our image after our likeness. That is an identity statement right there. And I want you to see it. I want you to hold on to it. I want that to soak in for you today. That we are made in his image after his likeness or our image, the Trinity, in our likeness, the Trinity. That's our identity. And this is what it says after that. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And I love the line that starts off the beginning of verse 28. It says, and then God blessed them. God blessed them. And we hold on to that and we see I am created by God for a purpose. And you know what? We're going to dive into that shortly because what I want to do first, though, is figure out if you don't believe that, what you're holding on to. Because there's many, many people that are taught many, many different things. If you don't believe that God created, what's the other alternative? There's only two to choose from. It's either God created or you're an accident. And I know that's a, that's a big, hairy step that kind of smacks you in the face, that either you were created on purpose or you're an accident of nature. Which one sounds more appealing? Just out of curiosity. If you're sitting there and you're talking to a five-year-old and you're like, I just want to let you know that God created you. I just want to let you know that whoops. I mean, that's it, isn't it? That somewhere, some way this big bang happened that came from out of nowhere, and as that thing came from out of nowhere, some particles happened to fall into place in the right place, and the earth happened to be in the right way, and there was some bacteria that made some things like this, and then as that thing came like this, boom, here we are. You're an accident. All by happen chance. Happenstance, whatever word that is. Accident. How does that make you view life differently than you're created? That God created everything. How does that change the way that we are and who that we are and the way that we look? If you look at the fact that that, the whole evolutionary process is about survival of the fittest, how are you going to live your life? Survival of the fittest, right? You're going to be the one that pushes everybody else down because you have to be the one on top. You have to be the one with the best clothes. You have to be the one with the best car. You have to be the one with the biggest house. You have to be, these are the things that identify me. Instead of the fact I can let God identify by saying, I am his, and he is mine. We'll talk about that more shortly. It changes the way we view the world. It changes the way we value the world. It changes the way we value our life. It changes the way we value other lives. I truly believe that abortion is a, a headstrong because of the evolutionary thought that we're an accident. It's the beginning of it. It's the, the, the venture away from God that God created from the very beginning. And it all starts right here. The I am starts right here. I am an accident or I am created. What do we believe? Because if you believe that you're an accident and you believe that survival of the fittest takes place, the who am I is a whole lot different than who God thinks I am. Because as we let culture feed us, we're going to take the things that God created and make them our gods. We are going to replace God's with other things. And in the church world, we call those idols. We call those idols. We take a good thing and we make it a God thing, which is a bad thing. And that's something we, I think we need to hold on to because idolatry is all about that. Taking a good thing and making it a God thing, putting the weight of who God is on that thing, and that's a bad thing. And some of us might say, well, you know, idols... Idols are, that's, that's like going into a pagan temple and having like a giant statue. That's, a, that's an idol. Not quite. Or not alone. As a matter of fact, if you break down the word idols, I think we can see some things that tell us what our idols are. And maybe, just maybe, you fall into one of these categories. If you don't, praise God for you, because I do. All right? I have just as many things as we look at this. I, items. I stands for items. What this means is that consumerism is now religion and stores are now the pagan temples. People are currently walking through a store or maybe a mall and they're looking to figure out what their identity is and how they can find it in that stuff. Am I right? Maybe it's a car dealership. They're looking through these things. What am I going to wear? What am I going to drive? What is it that's going to make it happen? How will this reflect on me as a person? I'm not sure if I told you guys this, uh, but a couple of weeks ago, Jerome and I went to uh, to Las Vegas for a, a church planting conference. And we had to rent a car. And the cheapest car to rent was a convertible Mustang. I, I kid you not, cheapest car to rent was probably because it was 114 degrees outside and nobody in their right mind, besides Jerome and I, would drive with the top down in that kind of weather. So that was probably what it was all about. But it was a convertible Mustang. I'm like, this is great. But as we're walking to that convertible Mustang, we're walking out. Enterprise has an exotics line that they have uh, in Las Vegas. And I looked and went, what, what is that? It was a Lamborghini that you could rent. I said, how much is the Lamborghini? A little smirk on my face. The guy's like $1,299 a day. And I'm like, twelve ninety. dollars Why am I getting this for twelve? And he's like, no, no decimal point. $1,299 a day for 100 miles. And then you get charged extra. I'm like, how much more could you possibly charge me? But I'm looking at it going, who in their right mind would take their mortgage payment for one day? in a Lamborghini. And they're doing it, so obviously there is a lot of people. And what is it about? Well, if I'm driving down the strip in a Lamborghini, my life is good. It's broke, but it's good. You know, that, that, that's the mentality you have to have. That whole statement of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas except for the bill that follows me home that that is the that is the the mentality because I need to have this identity that's wrapped up in a car that's not even mine for only an hour or whatever it might be and the funny thing is we were going down and we were driving there was this guy that was driving a convertible Rolls-Royce and uh, he pulled up next to us and of course we had the top down he had the top down so we weren't the only morons in 112 with the top down and I just went hey Nice car, because it was really nice. And he said, same for you. And I'm like, why is it rental? Yeah, but, uh, you know, the, uh, ooh, yeah, yeah. maybe if he found one, that's impressive. But uh, he had rings all over, so I'm not sure. Uh, who, who knows who he was? He might have been somebody really important, and I don't pay any attention to it all. But, you know, there's so often we let, we let that determine who we are, our items. The D is duties. What we do determines who we are. And we let those duties and our, our, our responsibilities, and it starts when we're young and the things that we do and the things that we succeed at and the things that we fail at, we let those duties and the places that we are in our work job, or maybe it's just our job, we let our job define us. And those idols, once again, are a good thing that becomes a God thing that makes them a bad thing. Because Really, it's not, it's not a bad thing to have a title. It's not a bad thing to have a duty. God has gifted us in each and a different way to do different things and have amazing things. I was watching this week on the, on the NFL channel that some guy got some ridiculous, well, lots of guys got ridiculous amounts of money this week. And I'm like, I don't even know your name. And I pay attention to football. How did you get $54 million guaranteed? And this guy said, I, I've been working hard. I get what's due to me. And I went, what? What? You're going to play in the NFL for three years. You're going to blow all that money by the end. And what's due to you? What are you talking about? Well, my duties define me. And we let that play itself out. And as we let our duties define us, even in a good way, we can say, well, my duties are this. Now I've worked at this place where I'm really good. And we get smug about it. And we get arrogant about it. Instead of saying, to God be the glory, it's to me be the glory. That's a bad place to be at. That's a bad place for any one of us. Because here's the truth. Who you are does not determine. Or, I'm sorry, the other way around. What you do does not determine who you are. It's the other way. Who you are determines what you will do. See, the world teaches us differently. The world teaches us in a way that says, we are because we do. But let me tell you this. We are because of what Jesus did. You want to be new? You want to reinvent yourself, come to Jesus, meet him personally, be born again, become a new you, and let that determine what you do, not the other way around. Idols, I, items, D, duties, O, others. And this is the one where it kind of kicks you in the shorts a little bit, because it, it hurts. This is the one I think we struggle with the most. We live in a culture that is all about what others think. I want to be praised by others. I want to be blessed by others. I want people to to like me. I want people to agree with me. I want people to be on my side. Facebook is a huge indicator of this. Because what determines a good post on Facebook? How many likes you get. That's right. That's right. Nobody wanted to answer last night because they knew the right answer, but they knew they were like, no, 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 no. That's not the right spiritual answer, though. No, it's because it's not the right spiritual answer. It is about how many likes we get. If I get likes, I'm good. If I don't get likes, oh, nobody likes me. And my life is worthless. And we get to that point, and it's amazing how we let somebody else determine who we are rather than let God determine who we are. But of course, going back to the beginning, in the beginning, God created. If we don't hold on to that, we have to hold on to everything else of these idols, and others is one of them. And we start to idolize certain people and idolize what they think. Jonathan Edwards, a preacher from a long time ago, used to say, if we idolize some, we will demonize others. If we bank ourselves in this crowd and say, I have to do this, and I have to be accepted by them, and as I'm accepted by them, that means I have to be against them. You want a perfect example? Politics. Running on the treadmill this morning at the gym, watching politics. And it's not even Republican versus Democrat. It's Republican against Republican against Donald Trump. (laughs) And everybody's fighting everybody out. And It's because if I'm going to be in this camp, I have to hate this camp. In 15 minutes, i got to hurry up. Uh, In 15 minutes, the Packers and the Bears will be playing each other. And as we see that play itself out, I'm not sure if you're into rivalries, But it's one of the oldest rivalries in the NFL. It's one of the oldest rivalries in sports in general. And that plays itself out ugly. Because it doesn't matter in Packer land if you win the Super Bowl. All that really matters is you beat the Bears. And and that is the reality of it all. You know, I told you about domestic violence being way up. In the 80s, we were terrible. And there must have been a lot of people getting beat up in those days. But if you beat the Bears, that's all that mattered to them. Because if you do it, and you idolize, and you have to be in this group, then you're going to have to demonize this group. And that's true in our lives, whether it be in sports, whether it be in politics, or just in general. L, longings. We long for things to be better. We long for things to be better. And we put our hope in the things that might come along. If I just get this job, if I just get this car, if I just get this promotion, if I just have this child, if I just, if I just, if I just, and we long for those things, we put all our hope in those things, and guess what, when those things actually come true, guess what happens? We're disappointed, and we long for something else, exactly. Longings. The last one is sufferings. We can have our worst day be our defining day. We suffer emotionally, we suffer relationally, we suffer spiritually, we suffer financially, and we hold on to those things, and we let those things define us. And many times, many places, that's how we talk to people. We say, I am a divorcee. I am a cancer patient. I am a, and we fill in these different things, and while those things have brought us to the point that where we are at, and they have shaped some of the things, it does not define you, because you know what Jesus Christ did? He suffered, and he died for our sufferings, so that we could live at peace with him, maybe not earthly peace, but eternal peace, And have an eternal relationship with Him. Because all of those things, they do not last forever, except for one. And that is God. And a relationship with Him. Or our lack thereof. When we seek our identity in places other than Christ, we will find ourselves empty. So you have to choose what you're going to put in that blank. And the choice starts in our mind and we have to have a new renewal of our mind. Because when you look at it, isn't that what Romans talks about in Romans chapter 12? That we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our mindset is changed when we realize we are created and it changes everything else in our world. We become new because Christ is in us and Christ is walking through us and we are becoming what He wants to be. We are moving closer to Him no matter where we are in our steps of life. That we are moving from either I don't know him to I know him really well, but really well still isn't good enough, so we're all moving closer to the goal of Jesus Christ and becoming more like him? Isn't that really what it's all about? And that choice starts in our mind? And it really starts with a whole new understanding of who we are. Like I said, people have been asking for years the purpose of their existence. Suicides are based on the lack of purpose or at least the thought that they don't have any purpose for existing. Because there's a mind game that plays out with us. And it plays out in our heads. And then we talk, we've talk; we been talking through, you know, one of the greatest books of the Bible to talk about who you are is the book of Ephesians. And we're gonna touch on it throughout. But we've been going through it as a men's study group on Friday mornings. And we've been talking about the spiritual armor that you have to put on. And just the helmet of salvation, how you have to protect that battlefield that's going on inside your head because that's where it all takes place. How worthless am I or how much am I worth let me tell you how much you're worth you're worth one Jesus to God that's a big deal I've told you this before and I'll tell you it again I wouldn't give any one of my children for any one of you just being honest but God gave his only son for you he gave his only son for you because he wanted to have a relationship with you And I think about that, and I see that, and I think, man, when people live without God, when they've eliminated God from the equation, what is the purpose of their life? As a matter of fact, Bertrand Russell, famous philosopher, famous atheist, said, unless you assume a God, the question of purpose of life is meaningless. That's coming from an atheist perspective. So as we wrap up week one, and we figure out, I am created, and I'm created by God. I have five things that I want to tell you about the purpose that you have in life, the reason why you exist, why God created you, and I'm going to go through them quickly. I'll tell you they're found in the Great Commandment. They're found in the Great Commission. They're found in Acts chapter 2. They're found in Ephesians chapter 4, and they're found in John chapter 17. And if you're like, I'm supposed to write all that down, we have it podcasted, so you'll have it all written out there for you. You You can download that this week. Here it is. Number one, your plan for God's pleasure. The first purpose of your life is your plan for God's pleasure. We are here to worship him. As Jerome and the band saying, unending praise, that is what we are here for. It's not just a moment. It's not just when we're right here. It is our lifestyle. It's from the time that you eat that food to the time that you head out and you drive home. And when you're at your home and when you're at your workplace and when you're at your school, that is what we are here for. We are here and we're planned for God's purpose to live a life that is pleasing to God. Second thing is we are formed for God's family. Just as worship brings God pleasure because we love him and he loves us and we have this amazing love affair that, that, that takes place because he is God and, and we're not and yet he still loved us and it just blows your mind but we are also formed to be in fellowship with one another other believers bringing God pleasure, because we're formed in his family. Just like when you want your kids to get together and hang out and, and get along. Uh, th- those are beautiful things, and, and that's what God wants too. He wants us formed, and he wants us formed right here, but not just right here. He wants us involved in connection groups. That's why it's so important for you to get involved in one of these, and there's so many different ones there. Please grab one. Please take a look. Figure out where you can get plugged in at, because while it's great that we have 50, 60, 70, 80 people that are sitting in here and in the room next door we're not connecting on a level that is a group of 12 sitting in a house for two hours and just discussing life. Please get involved in one. Like I said, those packets are right in there on that table. Please get one of those. We are formed for God's family. We are not just believers. We are belongers. 58 different times in the New Testament it says one another. We're supposed to be one another. Number three, we're created to be like Christ. We're created to be like Christ. Like I said, we are moving from here to this ultimate goal. We are disciples. We are following along with him. We are changing as we go. We're not perfect the second, except in God's eyes, we we have the blood of Christ on us. But our, our bodies, our earthly bodies aren't perfect. We're moving towards him. We're making mistakes, but we're moving towards him. And we have this in us. We're created to be like Christ. Fourth is we're shaped for service. We're shaped for service. Not only are we worshiping, not only are we fellowshipping, not only are we in discipleship process, but we are also in the midst of this service that we are working, that we are formed in this family, but we're also called to minister to the family. We're called to be created in the ministry. We're we're, we're saved for ministry. Because as we become more like Christ, guess what Christ did? He ministered. Doesn't mean you have to be the pastor, but we minister to one another. We've all been gifted for ministry. And as we see that all play out and we see these abilities that God has given us, we use them for his glory and not for ours. Fifth one is this, we're made for a mission. We're made for a mission, and it says in Acts twenty twenty four, Paul says, the most important thing that I complete, is, that is, is that I complete my mission, the work that God, that the Lord Jesus Christ gave me. You know what that mission is? It's to share the gospel. Because the gospel is the good news and it changes our outlook and it changes our view on our identity. You have one of these cards on your chair. If you don't, we have a whole stack of them right next to the connection group things. This card is a simple invite card. 15 people came last night to our service because I didn't invite them. I want to challenge you to find one person to give this card to. Because you know what? Your neighbor, your family member, your coworker they're struggling with their identity. They're not going to come right out and tell you although they might, but they're struggling with their identity. And you know why? Because when it boils right down to it, our foundation is either we are created or we are an accident. And our foundation of thinking, in our perspective, and our viewpoint, and whatever goggles you look through, it's through Jesus goggles or if it's through the world goggles, it's going to put a filter on how we see everything else. Find one person. We are on a mission to share the good news with people because that good news is that we are created, we are loved, and we are loved so much that God sent his one and only son to die on a cross for me and to die on a cross for you that I could have an eternal relationship with him because I am a sinner that is far from him. I cannot do anything in my own power to be good enough to get to where God is. But his son bridged that gap when he died on that cross and rose again from that grave. And people need to hear that. And people need to hear it from me. And people need to hear it from you. When we run into him at a track or we run into him at Walmart. You know, I joked about how people would talk to me if I have this Packers thing on. Went to the gym this morning, wore my Packers shirt. Somebody said something, blah, blah, blah. I wear my Paragon church shirt. Nobody ever talks to me. I don't know why. I'm sure, it would be nice if they did because it has this open door for me to be able to tell who we are, what we do, what we care about. That's why we're here, and that's why we're going to dive deeper into identity, because we have an identity crisis. We have an identity confusion. It says on those cards, finding clarity in a world of obscurity. Obscurity is a cloudy, muddy mess, but it didn't fit on the card, so we just went with obscurity. And we looked at that, and I said, you know, that's, that's it. We live in a cloudy, muddy mess, and we need to find clarity to be able to see through it. We need to find clarity to be able to see, and that clarity is found in Jesus Christ. A few weeks ago, I told you about the song Oceans and how it's really been on my heart, and I mentioned about how we trust God, and we were talking about the Fantastic Four, and we said, trust God and, and, and have, don't put him in a box. Trust him without borders. Well, there's another line in there that really stuck out to me when it came down to the identity that I have. And it's actually in the chorus, and it says this, I will call upon your name, and I'll keep my eyes above the waves. And I think about those waves, or the waves that are crashing upon us. And a lot of times I think the way, reason why we have waves crash upon us is because we have made a good thing, a God thing, and we put that God thing on that good thing. It's too much weight for it to bear and it crumbles. And when it crumbles, we go, oh God, why'd that happen? It's like, well, because you're calling that God and not me God. That's the reason why it happens. And we see it come, it says, when the oceans rise... My soul will rest in your embrace. Isn't that just an amazing line on itself? That the creator of the universe will grab us and hold us in and embrace us in times of trouble, in times of good things, in times of bad things, whatever it might be, he is there to embrace us. But this is the reason why. For I am yours and you are mine. We sing that song. I've heard this song on the radio eight billion times because K-Love overplays way too many songs, and this is one of them. And as it plays out, I sing, I am yours, and you are mine. But how important of a line is that? That I am God's, and that he is mine, that we are in a relationship that is eternal. It's powerful. But that relationship's only made eternal through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. If you do not know Jesus Christ, I feel for you, I hurt for you, I pray for you, and I pray that you understand where this identity thing comes from. And if you do know Jesus Christ, who are you sharing it with? Who is your heart breaking for? Who can you give this card to to invite them and say, you have got to come. My pastor's not that great, but God's speaking through him. God's speaking through him about the identity that we have found in Christ. I pray that God is speaking to you. As a matter of fact, let's pray right now as we invite the band up to sing Oceans. God, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your son. Thank you that from the very beginning you created us with a plan and you created us with a purpose. You knew us before the worlds were made. That God, that we were here to fill a very significant role in your plan. But at a point in time in life, we were far from you. Because of our sin, because of our rebelliousness, because of our attitudes, because of our actions, we were far from you. Oh, God, this morning we look in your word and we see that you want us to be close to you. So you sent your son to die for us, to die on a cross, so that we could have eternal life, so that we could be a part of your family, so that we could have connection with each other, so that we could be discipled and grow closer to you, so that we could use the gifts you gave us to serve. that, that God, that you would put us on a mission to reach a world that is in desperate need of an identity, a solid, firm identity that isn't going to crumble under the pressures of having your weight upon it. God, even as we sing today, I am yours and you are mine, may that just be a declaration of how awesome you really are, that you would care enough about us, that the creator of the universe would care about this little speck of a soul on this planet that he would send his son so we could have an eternal relationship and we could be able to say, I am yours and you are mine. I pray for anybody in this room, God, that does not know that, that is struggling with that, that's struggling with their own identity, that's putting the weight of something else in your spot and taking that good thing and making it a bad thing because it's not a God thing. God, I pray that you're working in hearts and minds and I pray that over the next 11, 12 weeks that our whole mind is renewed as we look at this and identify ourselves, not in what the world has to say, but we identify ourselves in you. We pray it in your name. Amen. I'm gonna be down here, and I would love to pray with you if you're struggling with anything in these areas, or if you wanna just meet Jesus Christ as your personal Savior.